Today we're starting our third week in a series that's entitled, This is My Church, This is My City. We've been looking at the vision that God has given to us here at Grace Point, not only for us as a collective body, but what he's given to us for you and me as, as individuals as well. Our mission is, is very clear. Every Bible-believing church, the mission is set. You may have a different spin on how you phrase it, but uh, we are here to make Christ-like disciples across the street, across town, and around the world. And the strategy he's given us is to celebrate like we're doing today, corporately, in big gatherings, celebrate in spirit and in truth, and to connect in smaller gatherings in our classes and groups, caring, learning, and serving through the power of God in our life. And this vision, this, this mental picture of what is down the road, of what God is going to do in us, what's just four or five miles ahead in the journey, is simply put here, it's, it's in your outline. Look at it with me as I read aloud. Just look at it, read it silently. We see hundreds of connection communities of Christ-like disciples united in prayer, intentionally reaching the world for Christ out of the fresh overflow of the Holy Spirit. That's where we started two weeks ago. We looked at that last phrase, without the fresh overflow, the power of the Holy Spirit, everything else is dead. And we saw that in John, Jesus gives this living water and he says, this is my spirit and this water will satisfy us. And it's not just to satisfy us, it's out from us will come a river of life for someone around us. And we saw last week that out of the power of the Holy Spirit overflowing in our life, if we're not united in prayer, we can easily drift off. We don't unite underneath a denominational name, though I'm thankful for our denomination. We don't unite under a common set of interests or opinions. We are united by our listening and our obedience to God in prayer as we pray together. Who unites us? Today I want us to key in on this phrase, hundreds of connection communities of Christ-like disciples. First, why is this important? This is more than just a phrase. This is more than just a slogan. I believe it's rooted in God's Word, but we need to see why this is important. Second, today, what does that even look like? I want to prepare you. This message is, is more teaching today than preaching, and so get ready to learn. and Get ready to, to soak in some solid nuggets of truth from God's Word that I believe He's going to activate this week. They may not all be activated this morning, but this week He's going to activate them in our life and bring us back to the truth that He's giving us. Robert Putnam, in his classic book, Bowling Alone, identifies the number one need in America for our generation, he says. He calls loneliness the new American epidemic. I find that interesting. Never in history... Uh, have we seen so many people able to communicate as much as they can and yet feel so disconnected from one another? We have voicemail and email and cell phones and Twitter and Facebook and Skype and all these ways of communicating, yet we are still very disconnected from one another in the mass of all this communication around us. Recently, statistics are telling us that in certain parts of our country, uh, there are more people who are committing suicide than those who are uh, murdered in America. What would cause this phenomenon to happen that in droves there would be people who would give up on life and want to take their own life? They, they face such strong depression, such loneliness, such a, a feeling that, that they cannot make it, that they would make that ultimate decision in taking their own life. Unfortunately, in our city and across America and even around the world, 
in a place where God designed authentic community to be experienced the most, people walk into a room just like this. They sing songs like we sang today. They sit down, they listen, and then they get up and then they walk out feeling all alone. And we call it church. That's the experience that a great majority of Americans face or live when they think about church. But God has so much more for us at Grace Point, so much more for you, and so much more for me and our lives individually with Him. If you take your notes, open with me as, as we look at first this importance question. Why is this important? We're going to look at some biblical foundations of connection communities or gatherings of smaller groups of people, why this is important biblically and the foundation it has there in God's Word. And then we're going to turn to the Old Testament and look at a couple of uh, of real-life characters in the Old Testament who can help us see what it looks like, what these relationships look like flushed out before us. Why it's important. First, these biblical foundations for connection in smaller communities. You see, God Himself is in community. The Trinity, the very triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is a relationship among them. One, yet distinct three. It's this concept that theologians can write volumes and volumes about, that we can study about, and we can learn and begin to know more, but yet it seems the more we know, the, the, the less we understand at times. But God in His nature, as He reveals Himself to us through God's Word, through Scripture, we see this relationship between the Son and the Father, and the Father and the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit and the Son, and and there's community at the very DNA, at the, the core of who God is. But then look at God's creation, the creation of mankind. We find in Genesis 2.18 where it says, after God created Adam, He says, man, seeing him alone, says, this is not good. It's not good that man should be alone. And this is not only a commentary on the marriage relationship, there's, there's stuff to be learned there, but it also talks to us about the way we are created, male and female, the way we're created and wired to do life with another human being. One author I was reading this week uh, struck me with, with their words, listen, community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who God is. Because He is community, He creates community. It is his gift of himself to humans. Therefore, the making of community may not be regarded as an optional decision for Christians. It is a compelling and irrevocable necessity of binding, a binding divine mandate for all believers at all times. There are some who would say, okay, this sounds kind of good, but I'm more of a lone ranger. I'm kind of an on-my-own kind of person. I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. I kind of pride myself on, on being able to make it on my own. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be responsible or you shouldn't learn some level of being independent, but God never designed you to do the Christian life, to walk through life by yourself. The way he created you, your very DNA screams out for biblical community. Well, this isn't just an abstract thing. There's very tangible, organizational things we find in Scripture. Uh, Listen as I share with you a little bit from Exodus 18. We find Moses in Exodus 18. He's there leading the people, and he's leading the people. They are all coming to him with all their gripes and complaints. Any moms or dads had any gripes or complaints come to you this week? Imagine Moses 
Hundreds upon hundreds, thousands upon thousands of people coming to him, complaining and bringing the problems and disputes, and he had to settle them there before him. And then Moses' father-in-law speaks into him, and Jethro, and he says, hey, hey, what are you doing? I'm watching you go through this. You're going to wear yourself out. And that part makes sense to me, but the next thing in there, in, in Exodus 18, and you're going to wear the people out. You and them, they're not created to live this way. And so this Jethro principle, as we call it, as we read in Exodus 18, it is a biblical mandate for a span of care, where everybody's cared for, but not one person cares for too many. Jethro begins to call out to Moses, be close to God, or may God be with you. You're going to need God because you are to equip them to model before them the way to live, the way to give, the way that he should appoint some to be leaders and anoint them and organize them, some and thousands and in hundreds and fifties and in tens, this span of care is talked about. It's biblical. So when we see hundreds of Christ-like connectional communities that we organize and, and plan to be in one movement together, this is a biblically-based model, not just some idea that's pulled out of the thin air somewhere. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Jesus himself, as he started his ministry, as he's selecting the twelve disciples. Well, think about this. Why would Jesus get this ragtag group of 12 guys to help him in his ministry? This is the Son of God. Is he kind of like tired? Is he out of strength? Is he struggling on like relating to people around him or something? This is the very Son of God. He's the one who speaks and things happen. In Genesis, it tells us that God spoke and the world was created. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus, part of the triune Godhead, speaks, and, and things come into being. So, could Jesus not have come to earth and, and be about his ministry and just say, be saved, you silly people? And he could do that if he wanted to. But thank goodness he didn't. He chose to grab these 12 guys, and, and he did life with them, and he had relationships with them, and, and he modeled before them what the life of following him was all about. And it involved people, not just a solo act. So these disciples, the apostles in the early church, they begin to model this as well. And they do church. They spread the gospel in the context of these smaller, connectional communities, if you will. Spreading the gospel. Acts is full of this. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 is a famous passage depicting what this biblical community looked like. It encompassed both the temple courts, like this, and house to house, out among where the people lived. Diana Bennett shares, in our modern Culture, small groups or connection groups or Sunday school classes are often viewed as merely a program or a fellowship ministry within the church. But for the New Testament church, it was a way of life encompassing every area of their lives. Their relationships with one another were critical to the pursuit of Jesus, their growth in Christ, and their witness to the good news. It would be impossible to experience biblical community apart from spiritually significant, intentional relationships with other believers. Relational structures like groups or classes, therefore, are an integral part of being church, not just doing church. See, this life transformation that God has called us to, when you make a disciple, when you become a disciple, you're not just cleaned up. You don't just 
wash a little bit of the dirt off, it changes you from the inside out. And character change best happens in the context of community. Now, I want us to look at this second thought. Okay, if that's why it's important, why would it be important in our vision that God is calling us, and I can see hundreds of connectional communities of Christ-like disciples? It's important because it's rooted in God's Word. That's part of His plan. It's part of His DNA. It's part of the DNA He's put in us. But what does that look like? It can kind of feel like holding a, a bucket of jello without the bucket. It just kind of sloshes everywhere. And what it may look like for one person may not look like the other. And is there any kind of guidance? Is there any kind of instruction from God's Word on what this biblical community and these relationships could and should look like? I want us to learn from Jonathan and David's relationship we see in Scripture. As you hold 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to walk through this. I'll paraphrase much, but I want you to see it in your hand. Jonathan and David model how to experience authentic community. They give us a snapshot. They give us a video clip, if you will, of what a real biblically based relationship in the context of this type of connection should look like. We're going to look at the first couple verses, and as we do, we'll see through this chapter and a few following uh, what uh, Chip Ingram in R12, True Spirituality, as he writes some, some of seven essentials that I want to look from as he outlines a few items of this type of relationship. I want us to look at them together. The first one is, is this, to be aware. See, God orchestrates circumstances and he orchestrates chemistry. Be aware of the people around you. Be aware of the relationships that are potentially around you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan the king's son. There was immediate bond there between them. So we have uh, Jonathan, who's the son of King Saul. And and you remember David. He's the the boy who took the the stones and and slung them around and killed the giant. And and he was kind of famous for that. And and now David is is there before uh, uh, Saul. And David and Saul's son, Jonathan, hit it off. They have a connection. There is a bond that takes place. The text literally says, God knit their souls together. There was a love between them that became what we would see as best friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and would not let him return home. He, in essence, says, God has his hand on your life and I want you to stay here with us. Then something happened between David and Jonathan that wasn't expected. This friendship that was kindled was not one that could be anticipated. See, David was a shepherd. And this was not a high-class job. And he was the youngest boy of all the sons, and so he was pretty low on the social totem pole of his day. And Jonathan, he's, he's the prince. He's the one who's to become king, which many think will become king. And so he's about as high as you can get on that. And, and who would have thought that a, a shepherd boy, the youngest in his family, would become great friends with the prince, with this high-valued young man? You see, it's a first thought for us this morning. I believe that there are many relationships that God wants us to be aware of. And sometimes we miss the greatest people that God can put in our life because we have some kind of unconscious filter about the kind of people we think we can connect with. 
This is why somebody came to church today. For someone, this is a point that God wants to drive home for you. There are people you need to be aware of around you that you think, I would never relate to them. I would never have a connection with them. We have nothing in common. And yet God is waiting to spark a koinonia, biblical fellowship, there between you two. God has ways that we don't understand. We expect some kind of social status that they need to have or the color of the skin that we expect that they should have or the amount of education that we think that they should have or some similar interests that we are convinced that they need to have. We may look at how pretty they are, how well-dressed they are, or where they have been or where they haven't been. But we need to think about how God may bring someone very different to bless us in a relationship. We've got to be able to say that God sees What man doesn't see. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart, and he can see something different. For some of us, it may be an actual prejudice that we need God to deliver us from. But others, it may not be some kind of a prejudice that you would identify. You wouldn't necessarily say, well, I won't be friends with that kind of person. But it's this unconscious thought that you think, these are the only kind of people that click with me. God forbid, could it be that some of the statistics that we read about people coming into church and sitting in rooms like this and singing songs like we sang and walk out of here alone, could it be because we are waiting for someone to match some kind of picture of what we think we have to have in relationship and God says, the person I have for you to lock arms with is right next to you. They may be older than you. They may be younger than you. They may be smarter than you. They may not be as smart as you. They may smell good. They may not smell good. But God has somebody for you. Be aware. Second, we find that this is a call to be intentional. Look at verse 3. It says, And Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend. Jonathan takes the initiative here. He's the prince. He's got the money. He's got the power. He's got the position. And here he makes a vow. He verbalizes before God, before everyone around, before David. He says out loud, I want to be your friend. He makes a covenant, a vow with him. Verse 4. And he's there giving this vow. And he seals that pact by giving him his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. What's the point of this? He's basically saying, I lay aside my power, my prestige, my position, and I want you to know that I'm committing to you. I'm covenanting a friendship with you. I want us to be on equal uh, playing field. I want us to be one together. And so I'm going to verbalize this intentional relationship that I'm entering in. So you don't just drift into these kind of significant friendships. Making deep friendships, an authentic community, has to be a priority. You need to have an intentional pursuit of priority. We need to say that it's not just I'm going to someday wake up and there's going to be a friend around me or someday I'm going to wake up and someone's going to call out my name, but is there anybody that you are intentionally reaching out to? You see, just showing up to a group or a class is not what God is asking us to do. You could show up to a group or a class surrounded by a handful of other people. There could be caring going on and learning going on and serving going on. But you could refuse to enter into a relationship. But would you be intentional and seek out somebody? You may need to say, hey, would you like to go get a cup of coffee this week? I heard you like to run. I don't like to run. Could you help me like to run? Let's go try to do that together. 
I heard you like to go shopping. Could I go shopping with you? I heard you like woodworking. Could you teach me a skill or two? Could, could we do some life together? It's not just going to happen. You have to be intentional about it. Let's move on to the third we can learn here is a call to be honest. To share the last 10%. To get at what I mean by this, we need to look at verse 5. Whenever Saul asked David to do something, King Saul asked David to do something, he did it, and he succeeded. And then so Saul makes him the commander of his army, and then notice what happens. All those around are applauding him for the victories that he has, and so he's becoming quite famous for his success, even more loved and maybe more famous than the king. And, and this threatens Saul, and he gets jealous, and he doesn't like it. So he begins to discuss all kinds of ways to get rid of David. He's insecure, and he wants to get rid of David, and so he even offers David to marry one of his daughters, but the real game plan is to send him out in harm's way and so he could lose his life. But David keeps disappointing Saul by continuing to win and win and win and succeed. And so finally, Saul comes to the conclusion that he wants to assassinate David. So we pick up the story in chapter 19. Now Saul urges his servants and even his son Jonathan to join with him and assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his close friendship with David, told David what his father was up to. He said, you've got to go hide and find a place in the field, and, and I'm going to go talk with my dad, and, and when you're hiding, I'm going to come back to you and tell you everything that I found out from my dad. So that's what he did. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father, David, and he said many good things about him. He reminded him, Dad, this is the, the guy who killed the Philistine giant, and everybody was so thankful, and it was so good for our people. Surely you can remember this. What has he done to, to deserve your wrath? Don't sin against David. And, and he convinces King Saul, his dad, for at least a moment to not kill David. We read on later that his jealousy and fear would take over again and his insecurities would lead his life and he would seek that path again. But for a moment, he agrees not to pursue that. By the way, this is a, a side note. Desperately insecure people have a very hard time with relationships. They have an impossible time with biblical fellowship like we're talking about today. Those who are insecure, they are always evaluating themselves, judging themselves, comparing themselves to others. And either they get prideful or they get very afraid and jealous. Saul missed the relationship that David and Jonathan had because his insecurities took him over. But let's continue to look at, at this honesty that Jonathan had with David. He was willing to not just give 90% of the information, he gave 100% of the information to David. He wasn't willing just to give 90% of his thought to his dad. He gave 100%, the last 10% of what bothered him to his dad about his plan to take David's life. I don't know if, if my dad was the king and I, I had a friend that my dad was wanting to kill. I may be tempted to just kind of go a little bit easy on my friend. Hey, David, you know... This may be a good time to take a vacation. Why don't you take my personal donkey? Here's some money. There's a resort over there. Go just get away for a couple weeks. Like now. Just go. Just go. I don't want to hurt his feelings and say my dad wants to kill him. I mean, that could be awkward. Who wants an awkward moment? But that's not what Jonathan did. Jonathan had the guts to share the last 10%. You see, true friends will be honest with one another. 
the door needs to swing both ways. Some of us, we're so afraid to have that kind of honesty with somebody. We'll share 90% of honesty, but when we get specific, when it comes right down to the last 10%, we get scared and we run. And we don't want to be that honest with somebody else. And it swings the other way as well. Some of us, we may love to just tell everybody else what we think, but when someone gets honest with us and they get to that last 10% and they get specific and they're speaking into us and it's a little bit hard to take and it hurts a little bit because it's so true and we know that more than anybody else that it's true and and we have a tendency to kind of get mad and want to cut them off and just say, who are you? But, But be careful, friend. This could be your best friend because this Biblical relationship that we see here in communities like this, honesty, even to the last 10%, is valued. If you want great friends, you need to tell them the last 10% to be honest and truthful with everything. You say, oh, it could cost me my friendship. Well, I guess it could. But it could make your friendship as well. It could take it deeper. Turn your notes over with me. Let's look at the fourth thing that we can take from David and Jonathan's relationship today about these kind of relationships and community we see the call to be available when crisis comes friends real friends show up if we look at verse 20 of or excuse me chapter 20 we begin to see that that david is now really being pursued by saul saul gets out the swat team and he's ready to take him over so chapter 20 verse 1 he says to to David, he's going after him, and, and David, he flees, he runs, and, and what does it say? It says he goes to Jonathan. It says a lot about the relationship. And when he runs to Jonathan, he tells him, hey, you got to hear me. Your dad is trying to kill me. He's, he's doing all these things. What have I done to make your dad so angry? What sin have I done? Don't betray me. If, if, if I've done something wrong, you be the first one to take my, my life, Jonathan. But what have I done? And Jonathan says, well, it can't be. My dad told me he wouldn't do that. And David says to Jonathan, listen, listen, your dad knows our friendship. He's not going to tell you the whole truth. Trust me. And so we see a picture of what happens when the stories don't add up between two good, biblically-based friends. Jonathan is available and he listens. And what he basically said is, what do you want me to do? And David says, I want you to hear me out. See, a crisis often reveals who your true friends are. Those true friends say, what can I do? The fifth thought is to be loyal, a call to be loyal in our relationships. Don't shrink back when things heat up. The story continues, and David's thinking, this is getting pretty scary. In verse 5 of chapter 20, David says, tomorrow we, we will celebrate the new moon festival. I have always eaten with your father on this occasion, but tomorrow I'm going to hide in the field and stay there until the evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, tell him that I've asked permission to go home to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. He says, fine, I'll do that. And what he's after is, he says, if... If you do this and, and you tell my tell your father, tell Saul that I've gone away, and if he says, well, that's okay, don't worry about it, then you'll know that he's not after me. But if he gets angry, if he loses his temper, if he sees the window that he's opened up to take my life closing, you'll know that he's really plotting after my life. And so that's what they do. David says to Jonathan, don't betray me. 
if, if, if I've done some sin, you be the first one to take my life. But I haven't. You know this more than anybody else. Don't betray me. And listen to Jonathan's response. Never, Jonathan exclaimed. You know that if I had the slightest notion of my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you. And then in verse 16, so Jonathan makes a covenant with David saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. Now think about this. Who's David's enemy? Think about it. Who's David's enemy? His dad. May the Lord destroy your enemies. You've heard it said that blood is thicker than water. Not in this case. There's a, a biblical fellowship, a, a, a relationship there that is so deep that he says, my covenant is with you. And if, if God needs to destroy the plans or the path of my dad so you can be safe, so be it. Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. See, friend, the reason we don't really have these great friendships is because loyalty is a very, very, very costly thing. The price is high. Real friends never, ever tell you that the sin is okay. They're not going to placate to you. But when they find that you've messed up, and they will lovingly share that with you, but they'll say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to walk through this with you. What do you need me to do? They are available, and they are loyal to you. Everyone goes through hard times, but when things really heat up, the temptation is to run away from the potential conflict with a friend. David and Jonathan's relationship teach us to be aware, to be intentional, to be honest, to be available, to be loyal. And, and next we see their relationship teaches us to be vulnerable. Chapter 20, we see that it's getting pretty bad and it's obvious that Saul is not going to do anything nice. And Jonathan and David realize that David's going to have to run for his life, that Saul is set out on killing David. And so they come up with a plan, and they have a secret way to talk together. And when they meet together, the Scripture says they embrace, they weep together, they cry, and they express their love for one another. They were vulnerable before one another. Now, stereotypically, sometimes, ladies, you do better at this than us guys, but this is a call for every Christ follower in our relationships. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your personality type. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how you were raised, what your dad said or didn't say to you, what your mom said or didn't say to you. God calls us in these relationships to be vulnerable with one another. This vulnerability is, is a high, risky cost, but it's required for some of these relationships to take place. You see, we are to be vulnerable, not with everybody, not all the time, but it is key to deep, authentic community. And finally, this morning, we see a call to learn to be spiritual, to help them grow in the Lord. Skip all the way over to chapter 23 with me in verse 15. David's running from his, for, for his life. He spends about a decade or so dodging spears and hiding in caves and Living on the promise. God said he was going to be the king. He doesn't feel like it's going to happen, but he's trying to live on it. He's getting discouraged. And so during one of his down times in chapter 23, verse 15, Jonathan comes to him. And he encourages him. Encourages him to stay strong in his faith in God. And Jonathan literally strengthens him in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassures him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel, and I'll be next to you as my father knows very well. In essence, he's saying, I'm the one that's supposed to be king. But yet, 
David, I sense God wants you to be king, so I'm going to step aside, and I'm going to be your supporter, and the friendship is there, and I want you to be encouraged. Don't lose sight of what God has told us. He's not afraid to be spiritual and encourage him in the Lord. Now, as we look at this relationship, there's some analysis we need to do, and and this is all coming to a point of why we even did this study together. See, David and Jonathan's covenant with God was the basis for their devotion to one another. Don't miss this. This is key. It was their covenant with God, their vertical relationship with God, that was the basis of their friendship together. See, you don't have the power in you. You don't have the compassion in you. You don't have the love in you to do anything we're talking about today. None of it. And neither do I. You you can't have these kind of friendships. You can't foster these kind of friendships. And neither can I. Neither can any other human that you see. Jesus tells us in John 15, you are to love one another with the love that I have given to you. It's only out of the love of Jesus that we can enter into this type of community. So when we see hundreds of connectional communities of Christ-like disciples, we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be united in prayer. And it is on the basis of our relationship with God that makes this possible. You see, our covenant with God will determine the level of our devotion with people. Our covenant with God will determine the level of our devotion to people. Your walk with God will determine how deep you'll go with a friend. Your your surface Christianity will only produce surface relationships. I wish I had a close spiritual brother or sister. How close are you willing to get to God? I, I don't want that. I just want a close... Brother or sister, the depth of your walk with God will lead to that kind of depth and these type of relationships. Three quick takeaways for us this morning. How can we experience this? We're to get connected in a spiritually positive relational environment. When we talk about finding a class or a group, this isn't just something to do. This is rooted in God's Word. It's important because it's the very nature of who God is. It's all over Old and New Testament. Jesus operates through this kind of thing. I don't care what you call it. If you call it a connection group or a small group or a Sunday school class or a prayer group, I don't really call it. I don't care what you call it. But there's power in how we live this. Get connected spiritually in one of these positive environments. And and be aware. There's somebody around you that you think... They're not going to make the cut, but they could be God's best friend they're bringing to you. You could be the best influence on their life. Stop thinking, well, who am I to reach out to them? They know so much more. They've been so much farther. We're not the same. Stop it. Be aware that God will orchestrate this. And be intentional. Stop just waiting for it to happen. Too many times we come in and say, nobody said hi to me today at Grace Point. Well, who did you say hi to? Nobody has asked me over to their house in 16 months. Who did you ask over to your house? I just can't find anybody to go play ball with. Who have you invited to come over and play ball with you? Be intentional and you take the first step and step out and and be in that relationship. Go deeper in these relationships. Don't just stay at the surface. How? Be honest. And be willing for someone to be honest with you. Be available and listen to them. Be loyal in your relationship. And finally, share and pray about a significant struggle that you are dealing with in your life. And share it with a safe person. Be vulnerable with them. 
Don't be afraid to be spiritual. Some of us, we can just talk about the things of God when we're in church on Sunday morning or when we come out of Sunday school class, but at work, it never ever crosses our mind to say, you know what, can we stop and pray about that right now? Don't tell people you're going to pray for them. Just pray for them. Now, then pray for them later too, but just pray for them. Well, I don't have time. Well, how much time does God need? You got 20 seconds and pray for 20 seconds. Pray for them. Be intentional about pouring into your friend's life spiritually. See, hundreds of connectional communities of Christ-like disciples does not happen until it happens in me, until it happens in you. I want you to imagine with me, not just a good church, not just a church that has it together, but a body of believers where there are hundreds, not 10, not 20, not 30, hundreds of Christ-like connectional communities all over this community, some in this building, some in homes, some in your places of work, where they are united in prayer, intentionally reaching their world for Christ out of an overflow of what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life. That's where God's taking us. And these relationships will look something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends who've given such good attention today to your word. As I ask often, I feel the need to ask again each and every time, would you take anything that I've shared that's not beneficial to my brother and sister and let it fall from their memory quickly? But God, would you take the principles from your word and the truths there and would they grow deep in the heart of my brother and sister? Lord, would we begin to see a picture in our mind's eye of what it would be if there would be hundreds of these little communities that are centered on you, Jesus, where we're committed to following you. You unite us in a a, a prayer life where we are wanting to hear from you and be obedient to what you say. You call us to be intentional about loving people around us. And God, we know we need your power of your spirit to do this. Would you begin to stir that up in us and call us to an act of obedience? Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us at this moment. In your name I pray. Amen. Friends, I want to thank you for your attention today. I challenge you, take that Exodus 18 passage, or take the Acts 2 passage, or take the 1 Samuel 18 through 23 passage, and let that just be a start. This isn't the end. This is the beginning of what God wants to do in your life this week. Study that. As you get ready to take off, I want to invite you tonight at 6 o'clock. We have a work and witness team that's ready to report on the mission they just went on to India. When you hear us say that we are to make... Christ-like disciples across the street, across town, around the world. We take it serious. And so come and celebrate with those who have done that literally. And then they encourage you how you can continue to be a part of that kind of ministry. May God bless you. Once you've hugged 17 people, you may leave. If you don't hug 17 people, there is a zapping thing in the hallway that's going to get you. I don't know what it is, but it'll get you. May God bless you. You're dismissed.